to the Doghouse. I'm Diana. And I'm David. Riverdale, Season 3, Episode 18, Chapter 53, Jawbreaker. When a tainted batch of fizzle rocks makes its way through Riverdale, Jughead and FP set out to find who's responsible. There are things about this episode that I like. Uh-oh. But mostly, it's not great. This just feels very like, let's shuffle pieces because we're biding time until we get to the end of the season. This is where we get back to, they have too many episodes to tell the story they need to tell. Well, they already did this kind of an episode three weeks before. Well, and the last episode we had was really good. It was like, okay, we're moving some pieces and we've set everything up to be like, ooh, I want to know what happens next. And this episode just kind of rehashes some of that, but doesn't do anything. And so I had said in our instant cast, I felt like this was somewhat of a Franken episode. I feel like they may have rearranged a few things plot wise. Because the story feels very inconsistent in a way that's not, has not been typical of Riverdale this season. All right. So recap that recap. Cheryl infiltrated the farm. Then she joined the cult. Betty confronted her mom. Edgar wants to talk. Ricky comes for Archie. Arch and Jug raided the gargoyles. Mad Dog goes to fight for Elio. And Baby Teeth got murdered. So we start off right where we left off. Only this time Jughead has shown up to the scene where we found Baby Teeth. FP reveals that his real name is Brandon Morris, and they were able to ID him by Prince. And they're like, you know, if you look at this first glance, it's just how we found Ben and Dilton. But, you know, I don't know. And FP says, I need your help, son. And I'm just kind of like, really? You need gumshoe jughead to help you on the case? It's a real fucking quick turnaround from, I don't want you anywhere near this stuff, boy. Yeah, I mean, like, I understand that Jughead is a very analytical mind and he has solved other shit going on in town. But why isn't your first call to Tom, the former sheriff? Why aren't you bringing him on as like a P.I.? Because of the gargoyle connection. I know, but still. Jughead makes a comment. This might be a copycat killer. It's totally fair. It's like, you know, it could be the... Same person who went after Ben and Dilton, but they were willing participants. It's clear that Baby Teeth struggled. So they're like, okay. And FP's like, you know, but who would be doing this? And Jug is like, the real Gargoyle King? Because he's bringing back the fact that we haven't met the real one. We've just had imposters, basically. And so, again, I feel like by now, the audience should know who the Gargoyle King is. We should. We should. We don't. By the Okay. The point of this episode, we should have known as the audience who the Gargoyle King is. I'm fine with none of the other characters knowing, but we should know. And I really like that Jughead is eating, stuffing his face again during this this scene. We cut back to where we were last time with Betty at the Sisters of Quiet Mercy, and she's talking to Edgar Evernever. And Betty is just, you know, she's like, okay, I've done a deep dive on the internet. No one is named Edgar Evernever. And okay, so Edgar says, yeah, years ago, I was a different man. Okay, so that's not his real name. Duh. Duh. uh. But we find out that his life was in tatters and he walked in the desert to die. Uh, Someone's trying to make himself sound like Jesus. Or Buddha. Potato, potato at this point. And some farm took him in and put him to work. And then he vowed that he was going to create his own farm to do that as well. I love Betty's attitude here because her response is, it's a nice story, but it doesn't explain how you've convinced my mom that she can see her dead son. Like, she's not buying any of this. Betty keeps like, okay, do you get someone to dress up? Like, what's going on? 
And Edgar just chuckles at her. Like, I'm not telling you how we're doing this. <laughs> uh, we cut over to Archie's gym, which has now officially been dubbed the El Royale gym, which, why? I don't know. Why? I don't know. Like, I need them to explain this name. Why did Archie pick El Royale? Because there's no obvious connection. Like, if they had been like Rooster's Gym, sure, gotcha, got it. Like, anything with, that was a play on red, which would have been hilarious and perfect, I would have gone for it. But El Royale, I don't, I don't get it. Why? Why are you looking for logic? Like, <laughs> Be- because oh, my brain. You've works. watched this show long enough. You should know. There's no point. But it was a perfect place to do something cheeky and cute, and they did not. Yeah, they're. I'm not disappointed. Smart. I'm disappointed. Sometimes they are smart. Okay. Okay. Sometimes they're smart. Sometimes. Sometimes. So Arch, like, let's bring it in. We're all pissed about baby teeth. We need to honor our fallen brother. And then Mad Dog shows up, says he's dedicating his next match to baby teeth. And they're all like, what? And apparently there's this thing called Gilded Gloves. Barf. And he's competing in it. So we cut to the doghouse. Hey! It's the core four. And Veronica is asking Archie, how's your boxing career? And Archie's like, "Uh, your pal Elio is organizing a boxing event called the Gilded Gloves. And Veronica's just like, oh, brawny young men, shirtless and shorts, go on. (laughs) <laughs> gross but Archie asks if she could help get them into the tournament that way they could um he he wants the guys to have a boost after what happened with baby teeth and Veronica's just like oh I'll try and it's very it's a very sweet exchange I like that they're showing that you can have a very meaningful relationship have kind of a messy breakup but still remain cordial and friendly are they <laughs> No, I know there's these under these layers, but they are playing nice and they are being friendly to each other. So then we get Cheryl on the PA system. Good morning, my dear Riverdale High's constituents and comrades. Gross. A lot of you have been asking about the Farm Student Advocacy Group. Well, here's the skinny. Sign-up sheets are posted throughout the school. The club is open to all students, where the one become many and the many become one. So uncap those pens, sharpen those pencils, and sign up. A little birdie told me it's what all the cool kids are doing. And as she's saying this, we get the homage to our title, Jawbreaker. Walking down the hall, we've got Evelyn, Cheryl, Fangs, and Kevin all dressed in white, just strutting. I loved it. In slow motion to Imperial Teens. Mm. Which is exactly what they did in Jawbreaker. Great movie. David hasn't seen it. We'll be covering that eventually from our grab bag at Macintosh and Mod. Haven't seen what? So, okay. As as this, the cool kids walk by, Tony sees this and is freaked out. And then we see them walk past the doghouse. Hey! hey! And we zoom right back into the core four. So I liked how they did that transition. That was cool. They say invasion of the body snatchers continue. So let me get this straight. The reason Cheryl is all in on the farm is that she gets to talk to Jason. Yeah. (laughs) Betty's reaction is priceless where everybody's like, this is so weird. And Betty's like, I agree. I don't understand it either. Yeah, this is this is bizarre. Like, I like <laughs> that they're using the core four scenes in this episode to, like, catch everybody up. It's like their own exposition, and it's great, and it makes total sense. Yeah. Because this is what teenagers do. Oh, I'm going to go have my adventure. Let's get back, and I'll tell you what's going on. Mm-hmm. So Jughead suggests that they need to snap Betty's mom out of reality by 
you know, a harsh dose of truth and prove that Charles is dead so they can refute these fantasies that Edgar is spinning. So it's like, you know, reasonable. So we head over to the blue and gold office. Uh, Betty's going to make some phone calls. She's trying to figure out where Charles Smith's, her brother's, great this or where he is, really. And Tony busts in. Whatever the farm did to Cheryl, I'm holding you responsible. Okay, that's a little fair. It's not all Betty's fault, but it's a little fair. Betty deflects, but you roped Cheryl into this. You're the one who had her go there. How the hell did my girlfriend become queen of the farmies overnight? Betty's like, it's Edgar. He's a carn artist. And she explains what's happening with Cheryl and Jason. And Tony's like, but he's dead. Like, yeah, everybody knows that. (laughs) So Betty decides to give Tony the video of Clifford shooting Jason. No, 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 no. She's like, I kept a copy of it on my laptop. Of course she did. Which is like, honestly, just kind of smart. Like, you, yeah, I understand. Yeah, but this is a bad idea. And she's just like, give it to her and maybe, maybe she'll snap back into reality. Which I, okay, but here's the thing. Cheryl never saw that video. She never did. So this is the first time she'll be seeing that. So, okay. That's again, nice callback to season one. Oh, it's a great callback. I just sit there going, I know how brainwashed this group is. There's no way this is going to go well. This, yeah, no. Just uh, all the Scientology vibes. Nope. This isn't going to go the way you want it to. And then... Then Betty gets a call. Oh, hold on. I think it's my dad. Sure. Dad's calling from prison. No big deal. Your dad's calling from prison and you're just fine with it. You're just... You're like, yeah, I'm going to take a phone call. Well, what that establishes is that she is talking to her dad mm-hmm. more regularly which is not good. It's not bad. Uh, it's not great. It's not good. But it's, it's not. Bad. It's concerning. True. 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 So now we head over to a steam room and we see Elio in there enjoying himself, and Veronica pops in in a towel. This is a fucking great power move, and I love it from Veronica. It is. So Elliot's like, um, this is a dude's steam room. And she's like, I came to talk business. I want to get on the Gilded Gloves. And he's just like, you don't know anything about boxing. You'd be surprised what I know about hot, shirtless, muscular bruisers. Fair. So she mentions Archie. And Elliot's like, he's a bum. And bums have no place in my tournament. Now get out of my steam room. Veronica says, okay, fine. But remember this. I tried to keep things civil. And then she leaves. I'm like, this just feels gross. Mm, it's just gross. It fit. I guess I guess it does. But for me, it felt like Veronica just being like, I'm in fucking charge and fuck you, motherfucker. Like, you don't intimidate me, Elio. I kind of love it. I, I love that she has somebody on her level, not her dad, but on her level that she's not scared of that she can play with because she's beaten Elio before. So we head over to the morgue and it's Dr. Colonel Jr. And they're examining baby teeth. And he's like, OK, he suffered a lot of trauma. And your friend died of blood loss from the pulling of his teeth, which occurred pre-mortem. So yeah, ew, gross. Anyone who's had dental yuckies, you're feeling the gross here. Um, And then he's like, okay, but there's one other thing I discovered. And I pulled something from his throat. And so he pulls it out. And oh, it's a matchbook from the Maple Club, i.e. the brothel. Ugh, so stupid. (laughs) And, And then Curdle goes... I thought I'd seen the true face of evil, but this, whoever did this, isn't even human. Okay, Dr. Curdle. Yeah. 
you've got to figure out what is the most evil thing. Because everything, according to you, is evil. I think what happened to Dilton and Ben was a little bit more evil. That's more sinister than this. This, this is just straight up murder. Like, which is evil, but it's a different kind of evil. It's just every time they escalate, they use Dr. Curdle Jr. to somehow underscore it. And it's just a bit at this <laughs> and point. And he's already the creepiest dude ever. So, no. Riverdale. So we go over to said Maple Club. And they're questioning Penelope. Okay, how did this end up in Baby T's throat? Penelope explains, well, they're complimentary to all our guests, but we don't recommend ingesting them. And she's like, okay, the young man came here a few nights ago. He was with some friends, ex-cons, but charming. Anyways, he left with a grin on his face and alive. My girl Rosemary fulfilled his fantasy. And then all of a sudden we hear screaming, what on Eve's earth? Which I feel is such a call to Sabrina because they use a lot of that type of language. It's so dumb. It really is. And so they go into this other room and... This guy is gone feral. He's broken a mirror. He's got a mirror glass shard in his hand and he's foaming at the mouth. So FP knocks him out. He comes back and is like, all right, I cuffed him in my cruiser. What's going on with this guy? Like, what is his name? Where is he from? Penelope says that, you know, his name's Martin, but they all use an alias. Okay, so what's his deal? And one of the other workers, she says, okay, he likes to take fizzle rocks to enhance the experience, but this was different. The high hit him like a truck. And then he started foaming at the mouth and freaking out. And Effie's like, this was helpful. And then gives him a card to call him later. <laughs> like, this was barely helpful. Barely. <laughs> uh, All right, we go over to the El Royale gym. Oh, this is adorable. This is this is quite precious. So Alice is there with her camera crew, and she's doing a little live spot about the gym and their upcoming tournament. (laughs) She's just very, very animated, which is hilarious. And so she's like, "Okay, Veronica, would you like to tell us about your latest business venture?" And Veronica just goes a little on and on and then she introduces Archie and Archie during this whole thing is just kind of like huh I'm on TV I'm a big boy <laughs> it's the greatest he's thing so cute. ever and then he's reading cue cards he goes hi I'm Archie Andrews owner trainer and fighter here at the El Royale Boxing Club join now and your first three personal training sessions with me are completely free which he wasn't prepared for that yeah he looks back at Veronica's he's like, like what, what? And, anyway. <laughs> and then he says, you know, I got a message for Randy Bronson. I want my rematch. Let's settle this for good. And then Alice, you know, steps in front of him. Strong words from a local hero. Live from the South Side. I'm Alice Smith, R-I-V-W. <laughs> it's just so cheesy. But in this universe, it works so well. We go over to prison. And Hal is there talking to Betty. Apparently, Alice has filed the divorce papers, but Hal hasn't signed them yet. And he asks if she's started seeing anybody. And Betty's like, well, she spends most of her time at the farm with Edgar, who's a con artist. And he's got her thinking that she's seeing Charles. And instantly, Hal says, that's impossible. Charles is dead. Who actually killed Charles? Hmm. How does he, how is he, he so definitively aware of the fact that Charles is dead. Okay, so Betty's like, but we don't have any proof. I don't have the body. I don't have ashes. And Hal says, you don't need the body or ashes. You just need a stone. A piece of granite will do. All right. 
It's not. It's it's not a bad idea. But it's also twisted. Oh, it's super twisted and super de- twisted and deceitful and planting the seed that just lie, Betty. Mm-hmm. Just lie about it. We go over to the nightclub and Elliot is just like, okay, fine, Veronica. Archie can be in the Gilded Gloves, but he's going to have to move up a weight class because Randy's fighting in the middleweight division now. And Veronica's like, fine. It's not that easy to move up a weight class. No, it's not. So this is bullshit. And so Elio tries. He's like, I'm hosting at my gym. Veronica says, nice try. So she flips this casino chip and it's going to be at the El Royale. All right. Whatever. Should have been shown as a doubleheaded chip. It should have. You doofuses. Yeah, whatever. We head over to jail and the dude from the Maple Club is still foaming. He's been locked up. When he finally comes down, we'll ask him where he got the fizzle rocks. My bed is it still Kurt's. FP says, all right, we'll have forensics run a test on the fizzle rocks he had on him. Because they're like, yeah, something's up. So now we go to Cheryl's room and she is watching the video of Jason being shot by Clifford that we saw from season one. And Cheryl's just like, why did you show this to me? And Tony says, you, you need to be reminded of the truth. Cheryl, you're not talking to Jason at the farm. And the truth is all right here in the video. And Cheryl just goes, instant denial with technology these days anything is possible this is fabricated which is such scientology bullshit she goes on detractors can spin any story they want and tony is just like i I don't okay cheryl have you ever hugged jason and cheryl instantly starts to fight yes of course now enough of the third degree she's clearly hiding something and so this is i believe part of cheryl's coaching from the farm that if anybody asks you anything to provide proof, like you just say yes, of course. We head over to Sisters of Quiet Mercy and Alice is in her room cell thing. She's meditating. And Betty walks in and Alice is a little surprised. Betty asks, are you engaged to Edgar? All right, you know, I, I like Betty not mincing words, like just getting to it. Uh, Edgar and I have a deep understanding of one another. Okay, that's what I thought. I want to show you something. So they go somewhere. They go to a cemetery. She takes her headstone that says Charles Smith. What is this, Betty? I paid someone to track down Charles' grave. I'm sorry, Mom, but you haven't been talking to him at the farm. Your son's been here dead, buried for the last five years. And so then they get back in the car and Alice is crying. She gets just so sad. Betty's like, I I know, Mom. It's so sad that you won't let me be happy at the farm. And Betty just kind of sinks. Well, fuck. Yeah. I don't know when you're going to give up, Betty. You saw his grave. So I'm sorry, Betty, but I spoke to my son this morning. (laughs) And Betty's just like, I'm sorry too, mom. And then there's a rag over her mouth and nose and a gal starts gasping. She fucking chloroforms her mom. Yep. Just, she's just ready for that. (laughs) Yeah, she She was just ready to chloroform her mother. This is weird. A little bit. Uh, we go over to Pops and Archie's, you know, finishing up a plate of food and Veronica shows up. Bon appetit, champ. And it's a plate with like four burgers covered in fries. She's like, you're making up for lost calories. Ronnie, I feel like Jughead. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. It's a great call. His delivery on that is precious. And Veronica's like, that's the idea, Archie. <laughs> so cute. I'm into it. <laughs> We go over to the El Royale gym, and it's for their photo op weigh-in. Okay, Randy Ronson on the scale at 159 pounds. Archie Andrews to the scale, 154 pounds. I don't believe that for either of them. He makes weight. 
He's going to cut it like immediately, but yeah, you just have to make it for way in. That's all that matters. Pretty much. All right. We go down to the secret bunker that everybody goes to. Alice has been handcuffed to the bed. She's she comes to what? Where am I? What did you do to me? I chloroformed you. Don't worry, mom. You're safe. What a fucking line. <laughs> Edgar always starts with questions. So I'll do the same. All right. This is I understand her attempt. I'm not saying it's right, but I understand it. So she's showing her pictures. It was your first day at the Riverdale Register. You were so excited. And now I'm an LA reporter for RIVW, thanks to the farm. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's normal. For everything that I've listened to and read about Scientology, this makes sense. Yeah. Like, I, I'm, I'm cool with it. And I will always rag on Scientology because it is a bona fide cult. I do not feel bad about it. You know, there are other cults, right? That's the one that they're pulling from the most. I know. But there are others. Yeah, but this one is definitely like it's following that playbook a little bit more. She's like, okay, this is eighth grade graduation. You cried. That's the past. I'm someone else now. And Betty makes this very emotional plea. He's like, bad things happen. But if you get rid of your past, then you lose the good parts, too. And that's what's so sad. I was just like, you know, I, I lived with a murder in that house. Like, oh, you also raised me and Polly in it, too. And there's no connection between Alice and Polly at the farm. They're not family there at all. They yeah. just happen to be there at the same place. And Alice has decided to just throw away everything, including her daughter. Yes. And that's what is so heartbreaking and sad. Because there are people that do this and it has nothing to do with a cult at all. And it's just, ugh, it's so sad. And you can just see it on Betty's face. Lily does a great job with this. She gets up. She's like, I have to go to school, but I'll come back to check on you. And she points to a stack of photo albums. She's like, this is your life. Look at it and remember who you are. Uh, we go back to the doghouse. Hey! We're at the doghouse a lot. Yeah, we're at the doghouse. We haven't been there for a while. It's kind of fun. Core 4 is sitting there and Joke is like, you locked your mom in Dilton's bunker? Yeah, it was the only place where she'll be safe from the farm chug. Everybody looks at her like, Betty? What? <laughs> I've already made some headway with the deprogramming. Next, I'm going to ha- listen to her testimony tapes and see if there's anything I can use to help get my mom back. And everyone's just kind of like, do, do we need to do something about this? And then we hear a bunch of yelling and banging and Jughead runs out in the hallway and we see a girl bashing her head into a locker over and over again. And people try to pull her back and then she just keeps going. There's blood everywhere. Twin Peaks reference. Very, very Twin Peaks reference. Joke is like, did she take something? Yeah, she took some G. We'll get her to the infirmary. G. Some G. Some G. And then Jug's cell phone is vibrating. He's like, hey, dad, Jug, I need your brain. And we cut to FP. There's a guy freaking out in the back of his squad car. Another guy on a nasty trip. Can you meet me at the station? Yeah, I'll be right there. So we go to back to the jail and they've got the dude from his squad car locked up. It's got to be a bad batch. One that causes fizzle rock psychosis. <laughs> just say it's fucking meth already. Yeah. And they're just like, okay, it's being cut with something. Basalts, maybe. We need to catch whoever's dealing this garbage before someone turns up dead. And then they kind of look to the other cell where the original guy we met, Martin, he's like, it looks like our John is almost ready to talk. Cut over to the school bathroom and Tony's like washing her hands. And then right behind her, all creepy, like she turns around and there's Evelyn. Evelyn. What are you doing? Tony, you're detracting Cheryl from her studies at the farm. 
but I'm not going to let you ruin her. Line of the century. Ruin her? Bitch, I love her. Yes. Fuck yeah. Hell yeah, Tony. And she loves me. The farm is fulfilling Cheryl in ways you can't even begin to imagine. What? What does that mean? <laughs> I love I love Tony is just like, <laughs> I find that hard to believe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we saw their sex scene. Everybody left happy. Mm-hmm. The sex part, not the actual scene. <laughs> Everybody seemed to have a good time with the sex part. Okay. That was very important. They enjoy each other's company quite a bit. Oh, so good. Uh, love it. Love have it. A, love it. Have a blessed day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is the first time they've actually like had Evelyn behave in a creepy way. Everything else has just been kind of circumstantial, but this is like, oh, straight up, oh, yeah. Evelyn's making a turn finally. Yes. Where it's no longer longer true believer, and now it's second in command. Yeah. So we go over to the gym, and the guys are finishing up in the locker room, and Mad Dog comes in, and he's like, I need you to know something about Randy. He's juicing. Um, He's taking some sort of powder. I saw Elio give it to him, made him crazy strong. And Archie's like, Elio's that I might win. So like, don't worry. Like, no worries. And Mad Dog's like, no. I looked into his eyes and he wasn't Randy anymore. It was rage. He'll kill you unless you take something to level the playing field. So he hands him something. We assume it's G, but we never actually see it. All we can see is like a baggie. It almost looks like there's gummies in it, but like you don't actually see what it is. Hmm. And Archie's like, I don't take that stuff, which, you know, good job, Archie. <laughs> well, when you see Randy in the ring, you might want to. So we go over to Pops and we see JV is wearing an elf hat with ears and she is playing G&G with Ricky. Oh, no, 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 no. It's like, okay, 13. What does that mean? That's a good role. Sadly, your elven army is no match for the legions of gargoyles at your doorstop. Like JB's upset. It's okay, JB. You got further in this quest than I did at your level. And JB's like, okay, can we play another round? Sure your parents don't mind you staying out so long? Nah, it's like I told you when we met. They're busy. And Ricky says, same with my parents. Which we know he doesn't have parents. Oh, no. This is this is fucked up. Yo. Yikes. Uh, so we cut over to the interrogation room at the jail. And they toss the thing of fizzle rocks in front of the dude. And they're like, what does this mean? G's for gargoyle, I think. Which gargoyle? Is it one in particular? Uh, some guy named Kurtz. Okay, do you know where he is? I, how should I know? And then... FP and Jack are like, okay, Kurtz is the cook and he's selling too, but we need the kingpin. I'm going to go pay Hiram Lodge a visit. And like, FP goes to leave. Okay, we never see this meeting. We never see Hiram. Hiram's just kind of been MIA for a little bit. Jughead, why are you not telling him about your mom? This is when you need to tell, come clean. Like, this is where Jughead just said, like, Dad, Hiram's not doing the drugs. It's mom. Mmm. Without seeing the scene between FP and Hiram and FP coming back like empty. And it's these bits that make me feel like this is a Franken episode. I don't disagree with you. I think there is an internal logic, but I think if it, it would have been in the same episode if we hadn't spliced things together like you feel like. Mm-hmm. We cut down to the bunker. Betty walks in and she sees a bunch of smoke and Alice is standing over a trash can setting fire to the photos. So we go back to school and Betty's, you know, putting something away in her locker. And Evelyn comes up behind her. Betty, Evelyn, who would happen to know where your mom is, would you? Am I my mother's keeper? And Betty looks very strung out. Mm-hmm. As, which is appropriate. Well, she missed bed check last night, but somebody did see you visiting her room yesterday. 
well, I'll let you know if I see her. And Betty starts to walk away. And Evelyn, we have copies of those tapes, Betty, and copies of those copies. This is this is Evelyn's power move. And Betty comes up, shoves her into the locker and holds her there by her shoulders. Let me make something very clear. You and your dad may have brainwashed my mom, but I see right through your enlightened farmy crap. So stop messing with me. Stop messing with my family and stop messing with my friends. And this is when Evelyn tries to like shove her off and Betty goes right back in and this time puts her arm up against Evelyn's neck, like literally barring her from moving. Dark Betty. Better yet, don't even think about coming near me, my mom, ever again. Because if you do, Evelyn, I will kill you. And if you don't believe me, ask around. People will tell you what I'm capable of. Evelyn's freaked the fuck out. Yeah, this actually backs Evelyn down. It's like, oh, we 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 can't we can't poke Betty. Because that's going to cause problems for the farm. And she's already a problem for the farm. Not to mention there are people watching in the hallway. Mm -hmm. Like, she's not scared to say it in public. Well, and okay, Evelyn's trying to use the fact that they know about the shady man against Betty. And it's just like, yeah, Betty knows how to get rid of a body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and she knows people who will help her. So we go over to Cheryl's room. And Cheryl's primping. And Tony's like, oh, are you getting ready to go to the meeting? Do you think these Louboutins are too flashy for kombucha brewing? That is the most Cheryl line I think I've heard. (laughs) Yes, and I like that they didn't try to make a different brand because they don't usually use brand names. They did Louboutins. That is true. Like If if ever there was a brand you needed to actually go with the name, it's Louboutins, especially since, you know, Red Soul, Cheryl, Red, you know. Yeah. It's just the funniest thing to throw it on top of farmy hippiness. And like my first response is yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> and Tony is just like, you should stay here. Well, the farm needs me. I need you in every way, mind, body, and soul. And they start making out. And I'm like, this is a cheap ploy, but I'll take it. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, Tony knows what works. <laughs> yeah. So then we see boxer boys are running through the woods and they remember come Remember the Titans? Yeah, remember the Titans. They come with the gravestone. Are just like tomorrow we fight, we fight for him and they all like knuckle the gravestone, which if he has a gravestone this fast. <laughs> like it's so dumb. Like a kid with no family has a gravestone this fast at the town just like chip in to get him a headstone. Why is Fangs there? Fangs is a boxer? Yeah, that was... What the fuck? (laughs) Fangs keeps popping up, and I adore Drew Tanner, so I'm happy to see him whenever he's there. But oh my god, it's just like, when did this become a plot point? So you're a boxer and a farmie? This is And also a serpent? What's going on? There's (laughs) a lot going on You're leading a lot of double lives here. We go back to the interrogation room at the jail, and now they've got the guy that was in the back of FP's car. Like, okay... Let's let's go talk to him. Where'd you get the G? And he's like, from a guy named Kurt. Yeah, he isn't my usual dealer. He was really aggressive trying to get me to buy more than usual. And so Jughead and FP are like, okay, he's still in Riverdale and he's getting desperate. And then FP gets a phone call. He's like, it's Laura, our lady from the Maple Club. So that lady's Laura. Now we know her name. We cut to Betty at the Blue and Gold. She's listening to the tapes and we hear Alice talking to Edgar. She's so angry, Edgar. Alice, Betty loves you. She's a good person. And then Alice goes on. It's just the two of us in the house now. And the truth is, I'm afraid of Betty. Sometimes the way she looks at me, I think she's going to hurt me. I think she wants to hurt me. She's her father's daughter. She has the same darkness in her that I saw in him. And Betty's getting really upset. 
And this is where Betty realizes that she is not going to win her mom. No. And what's interesting is we talked about this last season that Betty doesn't have her father's darkness. It's Polly. Polly is the one that you need to be afraid of. Betty has her dad's intensity and her mom's darkness because Alice has a dark past. Oh, she yeah. was a badass serpent bitch. Like, no shade to that. But Betty is a better balance of that. And Betty is only pushed to this when she feels like it's necessary. Well, and I can understand she has elements of mm-hmm. that darkness. Yes. Which would freak her mom out. Of course. For mom's seen this from her dad mm-hmm. for so long and she's seeing some of those same things. Yeah. yeah. I don't think she has the murder gene, but... Well, and I think a lot of Alice's, like, her fear of Betty is that Betty did all this bad shit with Alice, the shady man, and Betty is still going on with her life just fine, and Alice is not fine. And what I find particularly interesting is that Edgar says nothing bad. We're listening to the taste of Edgar. He doesn't say anything. He says Betty is a great, a good person. I love this because this is great, like, cult leader setup. Like, he didn't do anything bad. Like he's he so far what we've seen, nothing untoward. I love it. <laughs> that's, that's what you have to do that with your villains. You do. Now it's time to go back to the Mabel Club. <laughs> you hate this. I I just hate Penelope because they made her so gross. I know. She, they just made her gross. If they gave her more of a Gladys vibe, like yeah, I'm a badass bitch who's running a brothel, it would be cool. But she's just so dripping with gross. Yeah. Like, ugh. so FP shows up and he's there to talk with Laura. I'm like, okay, another crazy John. And she's like, no, some preppy kids were here. Rowdy, they're ready to start up trouble. They weren't on drugs, but they were meeting. They're supposed to be meeting with their dealer in the lobby. But I guess he never showed. And Effie's like, okay, so how'd you get rid of them? And Penelope says, okay, one of them got a call. It sounded like the supplier was looking to reschedule. So they said something about a fight and we found this in the trash. And they pull out a flyer for the fight at Archie's gym. And they're like, okay, this is our last chance to bust Kurtz. So Betty busts into Edgar's office at the Sisters of Quiet Mercy. What'd you do to my mom? What'd you do to make her say such horrible things about me on those tapes? Are you trying to turn her against me? Edgar says, you know, everything your mother said on her tapes were her own words. And to be fair, you gave Alice some legitimate reasons to fear you. And Betty's like, you're not turning this around on me. Not while you keep feeding her lies, telling her that Charles and Edgar cuts right in. Charles is a wound and she needs to heal, which, again, he's not wrong. This is still super fucked up, but he is not wrong. No. Which I love. I love I love that Betty has finally come up against somebody who is not going to be swayed by her Betty Drew charm and, you know, tenacity. It's cult logic. Oh, it's great. I love it. It's, It's a perfect foil against Betty. Edgar goes on, your mother's on a journey. She's making tremendous progress towards finding her truest self. And yeah, she could have done that at home with a therapist if she didn't give away my money, our house, and everything. And Edgar says, you know, you're, you and your mother see the world quite differently. You don't need us. She does. She needs to heal from the pain that has been inflicted upon her. And commuting with Charles, real or illusionary, comforts her. That's the first bit that he's given away. Real or illusionary. And he doesn't care. No, but he knows he had like he knows I have to fight logic to her. Uh-huh. I don't have to explain myself, but that's the re that's the first crack that we've seen from him where he has admitted it could be fake. I'm not explaining any of it to you, but it's possible it's fake, but it's helping her. So shut up, Betty. 
That's the whole thing. But that's the first actual bit that he has given up. I love it. And the answer is like, okay, you know, this fills her in a way that no one else in her life can or does. It's a rehash of what Evelyn said to Tony, including you. Now, I ask you why in your mind, is that a bad thing? Oof, that's a gut punch. That's a gut punch. That's also just classic cult. Like, if it's helping her, then why is it a bad thing? It's really weird that he's that willing to engage with anyone outside of the cult. Well, because he knows that he needs to calm her down so she doesn't become a bigger problem because he's heard all about her. Like, she's a tenacious little fucker. So <laughs> so she's not going to let this go easily. No. No. So he's, this is one of the things where he's like, I'm an adult and you're a child. I'm going to be smarter than you. I love that. I love an adult in this world who just looks at a kid and is like, I'm the adult. And like, and just moves on with that. Like, I'm not going to entertain your, your teenage bullshit. Yeah, we'll see. Because how... we don't get that from anybody else. We'll see that how well that works out for him, because it's Betty. We know. Right. So we go back to the bunker. She goes up to Alice. Okay, we're going somewhere. She gives her a blindfold. At least she's trying to keep where the bunker is secret from her mother. Yeah. And we show up at Pops. And Evelyn's there. She's, you know, she basically gives Alice to Evelyn. She's like, okay, she'll make sure she gets home safely. Take care of her, Evelyn. Please. And Evelyn, like, has her arms stretched out. That's all we've ever wanted to do. Barf. She won't look at Betty when Betty says that. No. Which is really interesting because Betty's very earnest in that mm-hmm. Like, she does mean it. It's just like, like, we know Betty hasn't given up, but she knows she has to let this thing go for now. Yeah. So, yeah. We go over to the Andrews house and Veronica's there with Archie. She's got a present for him. He opens it. She says, what is this? It's for luck. And it's a robe and trunks. And the robe has pops on the back. She's like, I'm pretty sure they're your size. Uh, Thanks, Ronnie. Thank you for believing in me. And Veronica's like, you know, no matter what happens, I just want you to know that I'm always in your corner. And they just kind of have some meaningful looks. She's like, I got to go. Still lots to do. So she leaves. I'm like, okay, okay, bye. And then Fred just walks in, (laughs) sipping his coffee. Flying a little close there to the sun, aren't (laughs) you? Oh. <laughs> oh, it's such a dad. Uh, Archie says, we're friends now, Tad. And Fred just says, uh-huh, yeah, friends. And he walks out of the room. <laughs> it's such a dad thing to say. I love it. And sad. It's very sad because I'm going to miss moments like that. Again, this is why I say they just need to recast him. Oh, boy. Howdy. It's such a great bit for such an annoying scene because, oh, they're going to put Varchie back together. That's okay. I'm okay with them eventually getting back together. But, like, then we need to continue with Veggie and we need to, like, let him play out with Josie. Like, it's okay. We go back to school. We're in the girls' locker room. Tony's putting stuff away and Cheryl comes in and she's sniffling. Cheryl, are you Okay. Evelyn said I have to make a choice. Well, what the, we already know where this is going. Fuck. Jason, are you? And Tony's like, Cheryl, Jason's a ghost. And I'm right here. And you love me. And Cheryl's crying. And she's, I'm sorry, Tony. I do love you. But I love Jason my whole life. And Tony's like, I'm not going to let this happen. There has to be a way f- that you can be with me and Jason. And Cheryl's, you know, she's you know, still sniffling. She's like, there is if you're willing to open your mind to it. Cut to second jawbreaker scene, walking down the hallway. Now it's Evelyn, Cheryl, Fangs, and Kevin. And now we've got Tony all dressed in white. But what I love about this one is the way 
fangs is grinning in the background, I can just see Drew Tanner's like, I'm a model walking down the hallway. That's what he's doing in his head because he is grinning far too much for this scene. It's a bit ridiculous, but I adore it. They look at each other. Fangs and Kevin forever. I don't care if you're cult married. Just stay together. Just stay together. I ship them so hard. Kevin deserves a nice relationship. We cut back to Betty listening to the tapes again in the Blue and Gold office. And we hear Alice say, Betty won't admit it, but she was deeply hurt by Hal. We all were, but she took it the hardest, which is fair. And I, I, I think that's true that because Betty felt the worst about not realizing that her dad, the serial killer, was living in her house because she has prided herself on being this great detective. I think that's the more that's the more nuanced take of what we've been looking at here. Mm-hmm. We we talk about the darkness of Betty, but it was like that's not what happened. It's that Betty was the most hurt and pained by not realizing this. And had to go through that personal hell with it. Mm -hmm. That's where her darkness came from. Mm -hmm. It's a low-key good explaining moment for her character. Yeah. And so she's listening to this and Tony walks in. Betty turns off the tape. How'd it go? Great. No one suspects anything. Yay, Tony's undercover. (laughs) Love it. And so Betty's like, Tony, I'm not a monster, am I? And Tony's like, no, you're a daughter who wants her mother back. Just like I want my girlfriend back, which is great. I like this. I like we're going to get some Betty and Tony time. Yep. Betty's not fully convinced, but (sighs) she just needs some reassurance. And like Tony's like, no, like you're trying to get your mom back. This is fine. She just has that. Are we the baddies moment? (laughs) We go to Jughead and FP in the cruiser. They're on their little stakeout. I'm like, okay, there's Kurt. He's in the hoodie. And we see Kurtz go to try and make a deal. And then the cops are in all the directions, like, put your hands up. And, you know, Jughead walks up to him. It's like, you and your drugs are done for good, Kurtz. And Kurtz just smiles. Jughead's eating. Sure. Got a bag of chips. Cool. I love it. I love it when he's eating. Cut over to the gym. And Archie's got his new robe on. And Tom Keller, like, throws the hood on his head. Then he's pumped up. He's walking through and he throws the hood back. Tom Keller's so fucking hot. He just is. He's so pretty. We see Fred in the crowd. And then we we see Josie and Veronica sitting next to each other. Just like, you nervous? Not a bit. Is that a new robe? And trunks. Pop's Chocolate Shop is Archie's official sponsor. Side eye from Josie. It's a little awkward. A little awkward. It's fair. It's earned. It's all right. And then we see Ronson and Elio are talking. And... Elio has dissolved some G into Randy's water to give him the edge. So then we cut back to the prison. We hear some operatic music. Hal's really going into his Hannibal Lecter face. And he's signing the papers. And he's like, I'll admit it, Betty. I'm surprised you asked me to sign these divorce papers. Well, that makes two of us. I finally realize it's time to let mom go. She needs to heal in whatever way she chooses. And Hal says, I wonder, Betty, if you would consider doing me a favor. Uh, what kind of favor? nothing much i just want to come home i would like to know what hal defines as home what does that mean what does that mean does he want to go back to the sisters of quiet mercy Hmm? does he want to go to the farm does he want to go back to the house on elm street what is home for hal what is happening Uh oh so now we go back to the boxing match and we see like fred shadow boxing in the crowd which is precious and adorable you know going back and forth and Archie goes to his corner and we've got Keller being cut man. Archie's like, Ronson's on some kind of crazy drug. The ref needs to call the fight. So Tom gets up. He's like, hey, ref, 
Ronson looks like he wants to chew off my fighter's face. We want a disqualification. Elio starts <laughs> screaming. The only way to end this match is if you forfeit Andrews. You want to take the loss. And Archie's, of course, takes the bait. Screw you, Elio. So he goes back to Archie. He's like, okay, look. He's going to have a hell of a hangover, but you need to knock him out. And Archie's like, I don't know. Okay, the overhand right is there for you. And, you know, once you see a crack in his armor, you bring the hacksaw, okay? And, okay, Tom is a really decent coach. I love Tom Cutler How so is much. he getting paid? He's not. <laughs> okay. I just want to make sure. So we, we go back in and Archie, you know, knocks him out, but he's out cold and he doesn't appear to be breathing. And Archie's like, okay, we need a doctor. So I'm going to call a doctor. So now we go back to the interrogation room at the jail and FP is yelling at Kurtz. You've heard a lot of people. What are you thinking? Sell a bad batch, get out of town, dodge a murder charge. And why baby teeth? Did the end, you know, then Jughead jumps in and is like, did the Gargoyle King demand a sacrifice? And Kurtz just starts laughing baby teeth he was only the warm-up to what to the ultimate quest to one final game for you and your family hellcaster oh well fuck then <laughs> oh, shit. it was demanded by the king save the little princess and they both fp and jack are like jellybean what the hell did you do she's been summoned by the king and kurt starts laughing maniacally i love kurt so much okay yeah we hated his introduction because it was definitely not earned with the apocalypse now references but his behavior great love him and i love him against jughead well just just the start of that scene when they're interrogating him and he's just like all twisted weird looking at the photos Mm -hmm. not paying attention to anything they're saying yeah So then we cut to Ricky and JB walking through the forest. And she was like, I don't understand. Why couldn't we keep playing at Pops? Because Princess Jellybean, he wanted to meet you. Who did? And then we turn around and we see the Gargoyle King. Oh, fuck. Riverdale. Okay. So that was a great cliffhanger for a bleh of an episode. I know. So there's a lot of good stuff in there. It's just not arranged well. It's just not a great episode. We talked about that that issue with why hasn't Jughead told his mom? Yeah. And it's because now Jellybean is threatened. Yeah. It's clumsy. I'm not saying they did mm-hmm. a good job with this, but they were withholding it until we got to this point. Yeah. Because this is going to be the breaking point. And I feel Pro- like... Probably. It, and I feel like in some ways, Gladys may have to play this card herself in order to save her daughter. Well, I feel like... Through this process, Jughead's going to figure out that JB is in on it. She knows all about it. And that's that's what's going to get him to tell his dad. Yeah. Because, you know, like a good brother, he's trying to look out for not only his dad, but JB. He wants to make sure she's okay. Yeah. Not realizing that, oh, she's been living with my mom all this time. She's gotten fully corrupted by her life. Yeah. Yeah. So. And now that's put her at risk of being taken by the Gargoyle King. Yes. Which is not okay for anyone. Yeah. I think you're right in that that would have been one half of an episode arc on its own. Yeah. Like we're we're missing that scene where FP goes to talk to Hiram and then he comes up empty. Of course he would tell Jughead. So I feel like that arc is the one that's out of place in this episode. It's possible. I think the boxing arc with baby teeth makes sense because it's immediately the aftermath. And the Betty thing is important to address because we just talked to Edgar. It's just something, something has been rearranged somewhere. 
So, all right, let's take a quick break and go watch the next time on and then come back and talk about that. Okay. Bye. Okay, so the things that jump out of me, okay, it does look like FP, Alice, and Jughead are going to be playing Griffins and Gargoyles against Kurtz. Yeah, they're getting roped into the game. And it does look like Gladys goes after Kurtz, so she's not connected in any way to the Gargoyle King. She's just a drug lady. That makes total that makes, sense. That makes sense. But I'm just glad that we, it looks like we might get confirmation of that because I know there's been some people speculating that stuff. It looks like Archie's being chased by farmies. Because there's a bunch of people running behind him all dressed in white. No, well, he's being chased by sheriff's deputies because they're blaming him for the death of Randy. We don't know if Randy's even dead. Because then we see him bust open a door that looks like the door to the Pembroke. Huh. So something's up. But I I could believe Randy's dead, but we don't actually know that he's dead. Hmm. Or Elio's trying to plant something else on him. Maybe. Or maybe say that like he's the one who's juicing or something like that. Which, can we please stop falsely accusing Archie of doing shit? Because that's been way overplayed. We see the return of Josie's dad and her saying, I got to get the hell out of this town, which we know she is leaving the show. She's going to go over to do Katie Keene. I mean, great. I mean, I'm glad they've got seems to have a a reason to get her out. One too many times of getting threatened while performing at Le Bon Nuit is just like, Get me the fuck out of here so that I can go, you know, actually do what I want to do. Exactly. No, I'm f- I'm fine with that. It's just like it's it's nice to see that they actually seem to have a plan to get her off the show. Yeah. Without killing her off, which, you know, is the typical way they get rid of her. But she will be Josie McCoy on Katie Keene. Yeah. So that's cool. I also, the FP saying there will be a reckoning, mm-hmm. I think we're in the middle of the game and we reveal the turn. He must have figured, yeah. It, it, it better get revealed next episode. It better. So, yeah. It'll be interesting. Yeah. Chapter 54, Don't Fear the Reaper. <laughs> if they don't yeah, use that say, song, like, if they don't I'm use that gonna song, be they're, so mad. They're, yeah, that'll be interesting. All right, well. Till next time. Hashtag Go Go Bulldogs. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.